Even though the king did right in the sight of the Lord, the people, well, they didn't. This is a fascinating study. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Ember. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery. We're studying the Bible, the world's, world's best-selling book. It's a good book. And as we do so, join us today. Corey and Ryan help us to put this together. Corey, what's up? I'm focusing on the ever-interesting King Uzziah. He's called Uzziah in Second Chronicles, but back in Second Kings, he's also called Azariah. Ryan? Today, I'm going to be taking a close-up look at the life and career of Isaiah, who prophesied during the reigns of the kings Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Very interesting names, by the way. And they, anyway, we don't have time to get into it. What are, you, what are you doing today, Jen? Well, in our last six programs, we have had a very special guest with us, and today is his last day. And you will not want to miss what he has to share with us today. All right, I look forward to Jim Canlong coming up right now. Let's open up the Bible and see what God tells us. Second Chronicles 27, verses 1 through 7. Jotham was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jerusha, the daughter of Zadok. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Uzziah had done, although he did not enter the temple of the Lord. But still, the people acted corruptly. He built the upper gate of the house of the Lord, and he built extensively on the wall of Ophel. Moreover, he built cities in the mountains of Judah, and in the forests he built fortresses and towers. He also fought with the king of the Ammonites and defeated them. And the people of Ammon gave him in that year one hundred talents of silver, ten thousand cores of wheat, and ten thousand of barley. The people of Ammon paid this to him in the second and third years also. So Jotham became mighty because he prepared his ways before the Lord his God. Now the rest of the acts of Jotham and all his wars and his ways indeed they are written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah. Second Chronicles chapter 27, verses 1 through 7. Second Chronicles 25, 26, 27, and 28. Four chapters we read today as we go through the Bible in the 32nd year of Bible Discovery TV. Now, there are 22 kings in the reign of Israel and Judah after Israel split. The 13th king of Judah, the southern kingdom, was Jotham. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. The Bible says that Jotham did right in the eyes of the Lord, and that, quote, he prepared his ways before the Lord is God. 2 Chronicles 27, verse 6. It is important for us to remember this. As servants of Jesus Christ, we must always prepare our way before the Lord. And that means making sure that we know what God desires us to be. We should learn what it means to be a Christian. And this is why taking the time to read the Bible and pray every day is absolutely vital. 
In today's world, there are very few in the West who understand this concept. Never forget what it means to be a Christian, a Christ follower. We follow and we live like Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian. Now, I want to tell you that if you don't have your Bible guide to prepare the way or to read 2 Chronicles 27, 1-7, you should actually write for yours or call for yours. We'd be happy to send you one as an example. There are 12 of these per year, and we'll send one to you. And the April Bible Guide will help you turn to today's page. Now, if you don't want to write or call, you can go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com. Click on the page and it'll take you to a donate page. And let me say thank you for your donations. That's how we survive. So thank you for that. We appreciate that very much. And we trust the work of the Holy Spirit in you. But it'll then take you to a page where you can download it. And you're literally seconds away from joining us here in the 27th chapter of 2 Chronicles. This is absolutely amazing. Now, preparing the way is interesting. And Father, I pray today as we prepare our way to learn from the Word of God, your Bible, help us, Father, in Jesus' name, to understand what you've said to us. Thank you, Lord, for the fact that you have said it to us and help us to read it and get it. We're not going to try to read into it what our ideas and this wraps around our ideas, but we're going to try to read out of it and change our heart. So in Jesus' name, this is what we ask today. Thank you, Lord. And we all said together, amen and amen. Now, let's look at the scripture and let's understand what God said in 2 Chronicles 27, verses 1 and 2. Here is what the Bible says. It says, Jotham was 25 years old when he became king. And he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jerushah and the daughter of Zadok. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Uzziah had done, although he did not enter the temple of the Lord. But still the people acted corruptly. Look at that. Even though he did what was right, the people didn't. Although the king Jotham did right in the sight of God, the people did not. There are times when people do not do right, even when their leaders do so. And that's something that we understand today. You know, many governments in the West are in democracies. And in democracies, we think they're great, but they, they have flaws, you know. But one of the flaws is that the people are, I don't know what's with the people. You know, just because the majority rules doesn't mean the majority's right. Just because the majority rules does not mean the majority's right. So, beloved, we have to change ourselves and we have to come back to the Lord and give our lives to him. So, you know what? The church, that's you and me, we have a lot to do in the next couple of years. We got a lot to do. We got to convince people and win them to the Lord. That's really important. We've got to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, let's go back to the scripture, verses 3 to 5. Here's what it says. He built the upper gate of the house of the Lord, and he built the extensively on the wall of Ophel. Moreover, he built cities in the mountains of Judah, and in the forest he built fortresses and towers. He also fought with the king of the Ammonites, and he defeated them. And the people of Ammon gave him in that year 100 talents of silver 
10,000 cores of wheat and 10,000 of barley. The people of Ammon paid this to him in the second and the third years also. Now, what does this mean? It means that God established Jotham. Now, here's what this means. God will protect and guard us if we do well to serve him. Did you hear that? God will guard and protect us if we do well to serve him. Very important. We must serve God, beloved, because if we do not, then everything goes wrong. We need to make sure that our hearts are right and we don't need to be overcome by the news or by what people are telling us or by things happening in the world. We need to say that, and God told us this in Matthew 24, it says, be prepared for this to happen, that we need to understand this is what is going to happen. But God protects us and he prepares. He will be with us to the end of the age. So let's trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is him who we trust in. And that's very very important. Now, let's go back to the scripture because this is 2 Chronicles 27, 6. So Jotham became mighty because he prepared his ways before the Lord his God. Now, the rest of the acts of Jotham and all his wars and his ways, indeed, they are written in the book of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah. Now, this is fascinating because we need to pay attention to this. Jotham was a mighty king because of his love for God. Did you see that? He loved God and he became mighty. Beloved, when we love the Lord with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our strength, he, that's the Lord, makes us strong. We need to hear that today because there are people who say they love the Lord, but they really don't. There are people who say many things, but they don't mean them. If you say you love the Lord, do you understand that the Lord calls you to tell everybody about how he helped you, how he saved you, and how he protects you, and how he makes you, be, makes you able to succeed in a time when you should not succeed? Beloved, that's why we're here. That's why God called us to be here, not only to observe for our own minds, but to to display the, the work of Jesus Christ in our hearts to the world. That's why we're here. Do you remember the Great Commission? Go into all the world and tell everybody that I am Lord and I will come into their heart. I will forgive their sin and I will take over and give them the Holy Spirit, the whole thing, if we tell them. Beloved, we need to tell people, and I will tell you this, Jesus Christ radically changed my heart. I shouldn't be here today, but the Lord radically changed me at a very young age. I want to tell you, God will change you if you invite him into your heart right now. Very, very important. Hi, Rod Hember here. We go through the Bible every year from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. Now you can join us and watch at the time you like by searching Bible Discovery TV on the Roku box or on Amazon Fire TV. Anytime you want to watch us, we're there. Get a hold of it, watch us anytime you want to.
Today we read 2 Chronicles chapters 25 through 28, and we're now starting to get into the time period in which the prophet Isaiah lived, and he served during the reigns of many kings, including Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. So today we're going to explore the life of this godly man. Although not a lot is known about his personal life, the Bible has much to say about his career. Although technically a prophet of Judah, Isaiah was really an international messenger as he spoke God's judgment on entire peoples across the vast region. His name means Yahweh is salvation and was first called by God to be a prophet in the year that King Uzziah died. In fact, his 40-year career spanned the reign of four kings, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Isaiah's call commenced with a dramatic vision in which the Lord revealed to him the grueling nature of his mission. Though God really put him to task, Isaiah was steadfastly obedient to God, even to the point of prophesying naked for three years. However, his prophecies were not all doom and gloom and judgment. He is a good news prophet with a message of hope and salvation who foretells a glorious messianic age when God's kingdom will rule upon the earth. This didn't go unnoticed. Isaiah contains so many messianic prophecies that his book has been nicknamed the Fifth Gospel. In fact, New Testament writers quote Isaiah about 50 times, more than any other book. He's also been called the Evangelical Prophet, because although the book was inked 700 years before Jesus was born, he wrote like he knew Jesus as well as any disciple ever would. While we know much about Isaiah's career, the prophet says little of himself. We do know that he was the son of Imaz, was married to a prophetess, and that they had at least two sons. His eloquence of speech and easy access to the kings may also suggest that he was an educated noble. In fact, Jewish tradition even claims Isaiah was a member of the royal family, first cousin to King Uzziah. Although the Bible does not reveal how he died, the pseudepigraphal Jewish text called the Martyrdom and Ascension of Isaiah claims that he was arrested and sawed in half by Manasseh. Apparently, absorbed in a vision, Isaiah's eyes stayed open and he didn't cry out in pain but his lips moved as though he was talking with God. Truly, Isaiah was a very godly man, and we don't have to be prophets to apply his example to our own lives. Isaiah was a very bold, faithful, and godly man who obeyed the Lord even when he was persecuted. Isaiah didn't fear men who can only destroy the body. Isaiah feared God, the one who can destroy both the body and soul. And may we do the same. Yeah, that's really interesting, Ryan. Thank you for that report. Very good. Corey? All right. One of my favorite kings, we are taking a look at Uzziah, who's also called Azariah. And I say that he's one of my favorite kings, not because he's one of the best kings or one of the most godly kings, but just because the the accounts in both 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles of his reign make him really interesting. You know, he came to the throne after his father was assassinated, and he was only 16 years old when he came to the throne. But his reign was one of relative peace, and I mean externally. He didn't have a lot of enemies coming against him. So this equaled a lot of time for him to do stuff. He reigned for 52 years in Jerusalem and over Judah. Uh, so let's take a look at him historically and see what we can learn. King Uzziah is called by two names in the Bible, Azariah in 2 Kings and Uzziah in 2 Chronicles. 
Uzziah began his reign when he was 16 years old and managed to keep the throne until his death 52 years later. This was in breaking with recent family tradition. Both his father Amaziah and his grandfather Jehoash were murdered by some of their own officials. Uzziah ruled Judah and Jerusalem in a sort of golden age of peace for the area. Both Judah and northern Israel benefited from the empire of Assyria being preoccupied with other nations to the north of them. Israel and Judah were also at a temporary peace with one another, and so King Uzziah had much time to expand his nation. The Bible gives him credit for great warfare, taking and rebuilding Eloth in the territory of Edom taking three Philistinian cities and building his own cities in their territories, and turning the Ammonite people into vassals of Judah. Credit is also given him for being industrious. He built fortified towers on the walls of Jerusalem, built military towers in the desert, and made use of war machines said to be placed in the towers to shoot arrows and large stones. Uzziah also reorganized Judah's military and supplied them with armor and equipment. Apart from military concerns, King Uzziah is said to have loved the soil, commissioning farmers and vine dressers in the mountainous areas of Judah and digging many new wells for his large amounts of herd animals. All of this taken together apparently made him famous as far as the entrance to Egypt, for he became exceedingly strong. While it was this strength that would corrupt Uzziah's motivations, his life has left an archaeological record. Seal impressions that mention him by name have been found. They originally belonged to two of his court officials. A gravestone warning people of Uzziah's leprosy has also been found. Though dated to a later time than his, it's believed that his bones were moved from his original tomb, and the ominous gravestone marked their new resting place. So there we go, just a quick study on King Uzziah. As we come towards the end of the kingdom of Judah, we're going to be looking at some of these kings individually because there's a lot that we can learn from what they did right and what they could have done better. And what, when you talk about what you did right, uh, that, that's kind of the question we're going to focus on today. Jim Cantillon is here from WOW Missions, and it's important to remember that Jim is the president of that organization. But uh, before we talk too much about that, Jim, what does somebody do? They see things going on with Ukraine. Uh, they see what's happened. And, they, and I can't we can't update past March 18th. We're taping on March 18th. But but people see that they study the Bible, but they haven't done anything. What do they do? Well, uh, first of all, um, let compassion be your trigger. If you have a sense from the Lord, and you need to do something. Take that as from the Lord. When Jesus healed people, generally speaking, you see, and moved with compassion, he, whatever it was, he did. And I, you know, I pastored in Jerusalem for seven years, and I've walked in and out of the old city thousands of times, walking past a lot of beggars. They always accumulate at the, at the gates. And you can be sure Jesus walked past a lot of beggars, too. But occasionally you'll be walking, and there'll be one of them that grabs you. And I always responded to that, because that, to me, is a moving with compassion trigger. So if you move with compassion, do something. But that, secondly, what do I do, Rod? And I, I think of the parable of the Good Samaritan. Um, there were three temple officials who walked into this situation where a guy had been robbed, beaten up, and left to die, bleeding on the road from Jericho to Jerusalem. I know that road very well because I used to drive it every week as I'd go from Jerusalem down to Jericho, along the Jericho uh, Valley, 
up to Tiberias, the Sea of Galilee, up to the northern Galilee, and into southern Lebanon to broadcast the gospel. Uh, I, I, I've done it so many times, I can do it with my eyes closed, it seems. But I, I know the route very well. I even know the spot where they think this parable may have been um, uh, located. Anyhow, the first two guys are on their way to do some do their temple service. Right? And the temple service is very important because, you know, you're doing your temple service maybe four weeks out of the year. So you, you've been gearing up for it. You know, your wife is giving you a special uh, lunch to carry with you. And you got your best clothes in your backpack. And you got a certain time frame. You got to be there. And you got to do the work of the Lord. You come around the corner. And there's this guy. He's obviously been beat up. He's obviously been robbed. He's lying there. In a, but he's a Gentile. And more than that, he's a, maybe he's a robber himself. And, I, and if I touch a dead body, I'm, I'm defiled. So what will I do? I will gather my skirts about me and walk around on the other side. That's what I will do because I have more important to do, more important work to do in the temple. Hallelujah. Okay. This happens twice. Then this third guy comes along who happens to be a Samaritan. Samaritans were persona non grata. They, they, were, they were despised, looked down upon by Jews. And this guy here is, I think he's Jewish. Well, you know, he's my enemy, or he sees me as his enemy. But no, he's a fellow human being. And we know the story. How he helped this guy. He, he put oil and wine probably into his wounds and put him on his donkey and took him to a little inn, which isn't far away from there, and said to the innkeeper, you look after him. I, I'm in Jerusalem for two days. I'll come back, and I'll pay you whatever I owe you for his care. What did he do? He did what was in his hand to do. He didn't try to save the world, but he did what he could with this one individual. And the thing about it is, when it comes to caring for orphans and widows, you can say, well, man, there's thousands of them, you know? And we've probably all heard the story of the, the guys walking along the beach somewhere, you know, on the west east coast of uh, the U.S. of A. And uh, a storm has thrown in hundreds and hundreds of starfish. And... <laughs> He starts throwing him back in. And an older guy comes on. What are you doing? He's like, well, I'm trying to save the starfish here, sir. Well, it's not, what difference is it going to make? I don't know, but it's sure going to make a difference to this one. <laughs> and that's what you do. This one. And when you get right down to it, God deals with us one by one. He doesn't deal with us in massive groups. He deals with us one by one. And so in this Ukrainian orphan situation, you know, with our own infrastructure of orphan care in Southern Africa and India, I was concerned that we, you know, I'm always concerned that we have an infrastructure of local churches and local pastors, not just local pastors, but local pastors I know and I trust. It takes a long time to develop that kind of relationship. Well, lo and behold, in this Ukraine situation, here's a pastor in Slovakia who's overseeing a network of churches in Ukraine and Poland who immediately opened their basements and their buildings to uh, orphan care. And let, me, let me just show you a couple of pictures of some of these churches, friends. Um, I, I, it's absolutely fascinating. Because it's, it's so humble, it's so simple. But there's a church basement right there. It's already been made into a relief center. And those are Ukrainian um, refugees. And there's a little person in the front, probably a little girl, I think, uh, being fed some milk. And then the second pick is also very moving because these are orphans. And uh, when this pick was sent to me just a few days ago, uh, half of them had already been bussed by local church volunteers into Poland 
to be cared for by the Polish network there. And they're already safely uh, in homes, private homes being cared for. A lot of them will be adopted eventually. The other half were about to be bust. Now, since then, of course, these kids have all gone, but you can be sure they've been filled with, you know, scores and scores of, of more orphans. So I, I felt moved to send some money right away. Normally we have to have a, a submission and, you know, we got to go all through, through the protocols, you know, agency to agency. I said to my people, we'll get those dealt with later. But let's get something to them now, which we did. We sent several thousands of dollars to them now with the promise that we're going to continue to send thousands of dollars. And in that we're partnering with Bible Discovery, you know, it's a no brainer. You know, whether people log on to wildmission.com or whether they log on to BibleDiscoveryTV.com, is that what it is? Yeah. Uh, you know, friends, I, I don't care how you do it. Even if it's your local church or your, or your trusted, you know, Red Cross or or whatever organization that you really believe in, that, that's not the issue. This is not a denominational thing. This is an orphan and widow thing, and the Lord has called us to care for them. You know, the Bible tells us God is a father to the fatherless and a defender of widows. Psalm 68, verse 5. Bottom line, core value for heaven itself is the care of the least of these, as Jesus called them. And so, uh, you know, it's so easy for me I'm not asking for us. I'm not asking for a while. I'm not asking for Bible discovery. We're just available to you, if you will, as a way to extend your arm to these desperately needy young people who are fleeing war, whose homes have been destroyed, many of whom don't even know yet that they've lost their fathers in the war. So do your best, friends. I think it's important to remember that. And let's pray uh, at the end of this program so that we can... Uh, ask God. Father, we pray in Jesus' name. We ask you to touch the people. We ask you to touch all the people, Lord. We, we're talking about the widows and the orphans. Lord, these are these are kids, and you know that gets my heart, Lord, but I pray in Jesus' name that you would make yourself available to them. And the churches, touch the churches and the pastors. Help them, Lord, to know the Holy Spirit is with them. And Father, in the midst of this evil, I pray that your presence would be there and with us. Thank you for joining us today. I want to remind you that we are available at 3.30 to 4.30 every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on Facebook and YouTube and Bible Discovery TV. What you do is go to Facebook or YouTube and look up Bible Discovery TV live on Facebook and YouTube, and we're there, and we're also on Bible Discovery TV. We're live there as well. So pray with us. Today we pray 
And let's say, Lord, help me to serve you with all of my heart, with all of my mind, and with all of my soul.